And so we're going to see how we're supposed to walk. And uh, today I'm going to talk about our upward walk, next week our outward walk, then our inward walk, then our cross walk. So it's going to be a great series, Walk This Way. Let's read, uh, it's just one verse, so why don't you read it with me and preach it, okay? Let's just really read it out loud together. All right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when you present your body to God, it's the highest form of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for showing us how once we're saved, we're to walk. And Lord, I pray, renew our minds today. I've asked both services so far to do this. Can you just put your hand over your heart and Let's just pray this together. Pray it out loud with me. Say, Lord Jesus, today, renew renew my mind. Speak to my heart that I would walk closer with you than I ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you better walk this way. Now, we've already sung today. The song, I Surrender All, one of my favorite songs, a great song, I Surrender All. And if you want to look at what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is telling us, it's about surrender. Summing up verse 1, it's all about surrender, total surrender to God. And, um, you know, when you read Jesus, read the red, the red part of the Bible, Jesus always talked about total surrender. As a matter of fact, he said, you can't follow me if you don't practice total surrender. There's no halfway disciple. There has got to be totally committed. Now, listen to what Jesus said. He was talking to a crowd one day, and he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish, self-seeking ways, take up your cross every single day, and follow me. What an interesting, powerful statement. Now, let me tell you what your cross is not. Your cross is not some sickness you got. Your cross is not a troubled marriage. Your cross is not a difficult job. That's not what Jesus meant by the cross. You talk to somebody that's been sick for 20 years and say, it's just my cross to bear. No, it's not. That's not what Jesus was talking about. The cross, in a nutshell, means this, that you choose his will over your will. That's the cross. That every day that you wake up, you pick up that cross. Jesus said, do it every day. You pick up that cross, and believe me, I don't walk out the front door till I have picked up my cross. And here's what it means. Whatever comes at me today, and my flesh wants to do it, and my own will wants to do it, but it comes into conflict with God's will for me, I pick up my cross, and I choose God's will. It's that simple. And that's how you live clean. That's how you live right. When every single day you just pick up that cross and when something comes into competition with God's will for your life, you say, with Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. That's the cross. And that's what it means when it says you are to die to yourself. Doesn't mean torture yourself, beat yourself up or any of that. It just means you choose his will over yours. That's the cross. That's total surrender. Now, I want you to notice in Romans 12, 1, the verse we just read, Paul makes an appeal to the mercies of God. His appeal is based on God's mercies. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies, plural, of God, that you pick up your, or not pick up your cross, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Now that word mercy means favor shown to the undeserving. You know, in this life, I got to tell you, I don't want justice. I want mercy. Amen. We need the mercies of God, not the justice. If, if God was dealing with us according to justice and not mercy, not very many of us would be in here today. How many of you are glad that he deals with you by mercy and not by justice? Amen. Now there's a reason that Paul uses the word, the plural mercies instead of mercy. It's because the Hebrew word for mercy doesn't even have a singular form. It's always plural because God's mercy always falls in multiple manifestations. You know where the Bible says his mercies, plural, are new every morning. Folks, you ought to be excited when you wake up because the Bible tells us that for that day, God has mercies, plural, for you and for me. He doesn't drag the mercies from yesterday into today. The Bible says his mercies, plural, are new every morning. So that means he blesses you in multiple ways every day when we don't deserve it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He's a good God. Now, now, now here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, in light of the exceedingly great mercies of God in our salvation, the way he saved us, the way he sent his son to die for us, and he rose from the dead on our behalf, in light of those plural mercies, the reasonable response is that the redeemed would present their bodies to him. A presentation. We're to make a presentation. Now, the word present, very important. Because when the Bible uses the word present, it's generally used to describe the action of presenting an animal on some, or some other sacrifice on an altar. That's what present means. They would, they would slay a, a lamb and they would take that slain lamb and place it on the altar and present it to God. So Paul is not just using the word present like we might in English. It is very loaded. When he uses the word present, he's thinking of a sacrifice that is totally given to God. But, you know, in the Old Testament, the sacrificed animal was always dead. So what does Paul say to us? He says, I'm going to make a distinction. I don't want you to wait till you're dead. But I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want you to give him everything. I want you to give him your all while you are still alive and able and healthy. And there's years ahead of your life. I don't want you to live it for you, but I want you to pick up your cross daily and follow him. And I want you to present your body to him, a sacrifice that is alive. That's the will of God. That's the purpose of God. This means that while we live, we're to offer ourselves entirely, not 90%, 80%, not most, but all that we are, all that we ever could be. We are to offer ourselves entirely, releasing all claim, releasing all right to ourselves, and give our lives to be used for the honor of God. In light of the mercies of God, 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, present your bodies as a sacrifice that is alive unto God, which is acceptable to him. Now, that word present and Paul's whole thought process on presenting your body to him, giving your life to him, is not found just in Romans 12.1. It's all through Romans. If you drop back to Romans chapter 6, you'll hear him saying present, present, present over and over again. So I'm going to go down to Romans 6 and let me share some things with you we find there about presenting our bodies and lives to God. First of all, here's what we find. Oh, this is good and this is so real. We only have two choices with what we will do with our bodies. Listen to verse 13 of Romans 6. Do not present, there's that word, do not present to God the parts of your body to sin. Your hands, your eyes, your tongue, your ears, what you say, what you think, what you do. Do not present the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But rather, here it is again, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Do you hear what the Bible tells us right there? That we have been brought from death to life. Dear Christian friend, let me tell you today, maybe you're not aware of it, but when you said, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Come into my heart. When you did that, a miracle happened. I mean a major miracle. You say, well, what was it? You were raised from the spiritually dead to the spiritually alive. You were blind, then you were given sight. You were lost and then you were found. God did a miracle. And as he raised Jesus from the literal physical dead... Every believer in Jesus Christ has been raised from the spiritual dead so that if any man, if any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Behold, the old is passed away and all, not most, but all is become new. That's the power of God. So, so catch what he said in Romans 6 verse 13. He says, our bodies will either be an instrument of wickedness in serving sin or an instrument of righteousness in serving God. There are no other choices. Did you catch that? I know that's somber, isn't it? But our bodies are either going to be an instrument of wickedness in serving sin, what are you serving today, or an instrument of righteousness in serving God. Now let me give you a fact of life. Every person on earth wakes up in the morning as either a slave of sin or a slave of Jesus Christ. No, Pastor, no, no, I'm my own person. I'm an independent guy. I'm kind of a Clint Eastwood type or John Wayne. Let me break it to you, John. There is no such thing as an independent life. You're not your own man. You're not your own woman. The Bible tells us very clearly we all serve something. We're all a slave to something. But Paul is going to tell us right here, it's as clear as a bell. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave of Jesus Christ. And there's not another choice. You're not a slave of you. You may think you are, but you're not. You're not your own man, not your own woman. You're a slave to one thing or the other. The Bible is telling us you used to present your body, present as a, an offering to sin. 
Do you all remember the days when you lived in sin? I know I'm talking to real human beings here today. Do you remember when you would wake up and present your body to sin? You woke up and said, what sin am I going to chase today? Am I going to drink it, smoke it, chew it? What am I going to do? But I'm going to give my body to sin. And you chased after it and you lived for it and you gave your life for it. Do you remember those days when you used to live for sin? Now, I see about four halos. (laughs) Not me, Pastor Jeff. I never did that. Come on. You used to get up and you chased after various lusts and desires and the devil had a grip on your life, but then somebody came knocking. And his name is Jesus. And and, and he knocked on the door of your heart. And he said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door to me, I'm going to come in and sup with him and he with me. And you did that and you got plucked out of that deep pit, plucked out of that horrible mess and set upon a rock. And his name is Jesus Christ. You used to present your body to sin. That's the way we were. But now that you're alive from the dead, now that you're alive from the dead, make a presentation. I present my whole being to obedience in serving God. It's the reasonable, logical, natural, right thing to do in light of everything that he did for you and for me. Now, there's a a long theological word for what I'm describing to you today, and here it is, sanctification. Can you say with me sanctification? Now let me tell you what happened. When you got saved, you experienced justification. And you know what justification is? When you've been justified, it means just as if you never did it. When you came to Jesus and his blood covered your sin and you said, Lord, I believe in you and, 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 his, and your sins were taken on his cross and he filled you with his spirit, God looked at you then through sun, S-O-N glasses, and he said, forgiven, justified, just as if you never did it. What a beautiful thing to be justified by God. It says in the Bible, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, justified. Now, after you've been justified, declared righteous by God, then the very next step is sanctified. You ought to be sanctified. You don't just get a ticket to ride in the rapture someday. You're supposed to live it out once you're saved. And it's sanctified. Now you say, well, what does that mean? It means set apart for God. It's that simple. Sanctification means I have been set apart. Now let me give you an illustration here. In our house, Kathy and I have a china cabinet. And guess what's in that china cabinet? Thank you. Y'all are sharp today. (laughs) China. Now, what would you think of us if we had a bunch of kids over one morning, let's say a Saturday morning, and we're cooking hot dogs and potato chips and we got Cokes. What would you think of Kathy if she went and, and, and into that china cabinet and grabbed all those expensive china plates and china cups and dragged them out and gave them to the kids and flopped a hot dog on there and some potato chips and Coke and said, go ahead out back and have a good time, kids? You would think she was C-R-A-Z-Y. Because we know they're not coming back in one piece. Because china is made for special occasions, noble events. We pull out the China at Thanksgiving. We pull out the China at Christmas. 
we pull out the china when somebody's coming over, we really want to impress. So the whole idea is China is sanctified. It is set apart for a noble, high use. You are God's China. That's what I'm trying to say to you today. You are God's China. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, you have been called by God for a noble and a high use. You are not a paper plate. You are not a paper cup. You are China set apart for a high use. Listen to what the Bible says. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You know, this week they decided that they were going to make the former Pope, Pope John Paul, a saint. And I felt so bad about that. He should have caught up with us. We've been saints a long time. Because the Bible says we are a royal, say it with me, priesthood. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a priest. You may not know, but you're a priest. And the Bible says you're a saint. You have been made a saint, not by your own good works, but as soon as you were covered in the blood, God made you a saint. So you are in the ranks of Pope John Paul. You are a chosen chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people. Do you hear special purpose in that? Why are we chosen? Why are we royal? Why are we called out? That we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When God wants to touch somebody's life, he pulls out the china. When God wants to move in the world, he pulls out the china. When God wants to do something powerful, he goes to the china cabinet, the church, and he pulls out the china. You are God's sanctified china. Walk this way. Walk this way. Now, why is it so important that we present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? Why so important? Here's why. First, because both choices, if you're going to live for sin or if you're going to live for him, both choices bring a paycheck, both here and in the hereafter. Both now and later, both choices bring a paycheck. The Bible calls the paycheck wages. See, there are, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to be paid according to how you live in what you reap from the hand of God. There's a paycheck. And Paul's going to talk about that in just a moment. With both choices, there's a payday someday. But not only that, both choices bring us into subservience to one of two masters. Listen to verse 16. Don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Can you say that with me? You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Do you notice how nobody is their own person? You're going to be a slave to sin or a slave to God. There is no in-between. He goes on and says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Let me sum that up for you. 
If you present your body to live in sin, the paycheck is going to be this. Now imagine getting this paycheck. Here you go. Here's my paycheck to you for how you've lived your life. Here's the paycheck. It'll be bondage, sorrow, death, and your master will be Satan. That's what he told us. That's what he told us in that passage. I'm not making that up. That's what verse 16 said. If you present your body to live in sin, you're going to get paid in bondage, sorrow, death, and your master will be Satan. But if you present your body, as Paul said in Romans 12:1, if you present your body to obey God in obedience to God, the paycheck is righteousness, peace, eternal life, and your master will be Jesus Christ. Now, for me, that's a, that's a win-win. The first one is lose-lose. You, you get nothing. There's nothing redemptive out of the first choice. If you live to sin, you're only going to be subtracted from, you're only going to be destroyed, and ultimately you've got a master named Satan. But if you live for the Lord, as the Bible says, present your body to him, make a presentation, then it's going to be righteousness, peace, eternal life, and your boss, your master, your leader is Jesus Christ. So we have two choices to which we can present ourselves. Now, he goes on, back to Romans 12. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to understand that when you present your body to God, it is totally acceptable to him that you present your body as a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God. Acceptable means well-pleasing. When you present your body to God, it is well-pleasing to God. Now your body, and by extension, everything you are, your whole being, you present it to God. That's what the Bible says. Now that you have been saved, it's the reasonable thing to, by extension, give him all of you. See, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I got news for you, Jesus is the Lord of all. So when we say, Lord, here's my body, he says, acceptable, well-pleasing to me. It makes me think of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain, the first murderer. Abel, the first murdered in the human race. Two brothers. The Bible tells us about them. It says Abel was a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And it came time to sacrifice to the Lord. And listen to what the Bible says they did. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. He brought God a veggie plate, which I happen to love, particularly at Cotton Patch. If I can put in a free plug, if you go there today after church, tell them I said that and that I expect a discount next time. But Cain, being a farmer, he just put together a bunch of stuff that he had grown and he took it to the Lord and he offered it to him. But Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now I want you to look at what happened. The Bible says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. God said, I see that and I respect it, meaning I accept it. It's well-pleasing to me. And not only do I receive the offering, but Abel, I receive you because you made the right offering. But it says, he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain grew very angry, and his countenance fell. 
Now you got to say, well, why was God mean like that? I mean, Cain meant, well, he brought what he had grown. He brought of the sweat of his brow. He brought his best idea. He brought the best he could put together. Why did God receive Abel and reject Cain? Because from that moment on, Cain grew bitter, committed the first murder, and became a vagabond the rest of his life. We've all heard the mark of Cain. What was the problem? The problem was Cain had brought an offering from the fruit of the ground, and though it seemed well-intentioned, it was not what God had called for. It's not what God had said, this is what you bring to me as an offering that I would put your sin away. The Lord had specifically taught the first family, Adam and Eve and their children, the same lesson we read about in Hebrews 9, verse 22. Listen to this. Universal principle, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You say, how in the world did God teach Adam and Eve that lesson? Well, it's right here in the Bible. It says, after they fell into sin, Adam and Eve, God came to them, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, where did he get those animal skins? He had to slay an animal. God did it. What was he doing? Way back in Genesis 3, he's already pointing, pointing, pointing down the tunnel of time, century after century, millennia down the road to the day that the Lamb of God would give his life for the sins of men. So the skins out of which their clothing was made were taken off of animals whose blood had been poured out as a sin offering to God. So God was teaching the first family, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, you're never going to be forgiven. You can jump through a million hoops, but if you don't do it my way, you will not find forgiveness and you will not gain an entrance into glory. So Abel, in obedience to God's revealed requirements, brought the offering of a blood sacrifice, and it was acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And he said, I receive it, and I receive you. But God rejected Cain's offering simply because it was not what he had required. And you know, don't we do that today? I hear it everywhere in our culture. We have a Frank Sinatra attitude. I'm going to do it my way. And that was Cain's attitude. When I go to God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go hug a tree, or I'm going to be a Buddhist, or I'm going to find some other religious leader. I don't like this Jesus stuff. But God is going to look at the intention of my heart, and that's all that's going to matter. And you are dead wrong. God does not forgive based on the intention of our heart. God washes sin away based on what he has required. There's people everywhere who are going to live and die thinking their good works are going to get them into heaven. Well, I never got a traffic ticket, never killed anybody. I was a good dad, a good mom. I was faithful and loyal. Surely God is going to look down and say, turn and say to Gabriel, look at that guy, look at that gal. Aren't they something? Based on their good deeds, let them in. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir primarily, but I want the choir to go out and tell somebody. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about you and I being able to get in heaven on our own good deeds. Isaiah said, we're all infected. 
and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds to God, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. Our sins sweep us away like the wind. King David agreed with this snapshot of mankind's condition, and he writes these words in Psalms 14, verse 3. But all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. He's saying if you could be God and see the whole world and scan every person walking planet Earth, you would not find one person unstained by sin. All have sinned. All have fallen short. The New Testament says they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Pretty definitive. The only thing God accepts is what he himself has required. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, then what has he accepted? What does he accept? If there's nothing I can do to get in, what does he accept? Here's what he accepts. We must find our righteousness with him in the shed blood of his son the same way Abel had to find righteousness through the shed blood of the lamb. The Bible is very clear. Listen to this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not another name. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Not any world religious leader, no matter how charismatic, appealing, influential they may be, there is not one other name under heaven by which we can enter the gates of glory once we have called upon it, but the name of Jesus. That's it. That's it. You know, Pastor Jeff, that's pretty narrow. It is narrow. It's a narrow way, and it's so simple. God made it simple so the, so the simplest person can take advantage of it. John the Baptist preached these words. Listen to this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. I'm going to say that again. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God continuously, daily abides on him. Jesus himself said, he who believes in the Son of God is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God and everything that name represents. See, Jesus doesn't give us the option of cherry-picking our God or creating our own God he says, here I stand, and this is what I've said, and I've told you who I am. Believe in it and be saved or reject it and be damned. It's that simple. But once you have come to him, once you've come to him, there's something else God accepts. He accepts the presentation of your body, your life, your all to him. It's reasonable in light of everything he has done. So I make a presentation of my life. Have you done that? Have you ever just thought to say, Lord, here I am as a sacrifice on the altar. You gave your life for me. The reasonable thing, the least I can do is give my life back to you and live for you and, and not only be justified by your blood, but be sanctified by your spirit. That's the least I can do. I'm sanctified. 
Now, keep that in mind. I want to share in closing one verse with you that really hit me this week. It's the next verse. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, which means forced into its mold, but be transformed, which means radically changed by the renewing of your mind. Now, to give you a fact about everyone in this room and our dear friends listening by radio, here's a fact. We will all either be conformed to this world thinking and acting like the world, or we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds, thinking and acting like Jesus. How can you assure you're going to be transformed instead of conformed? I really do believe the first step to transformation is sanctification. You must say, Lord, I present my body, my life. I'm no longer my own. I'm bought with a price. So if I'm sitting there at work and at the end of the day... The guys or the gals come in and say, hey, we're going to the bar. Why don't you come with us, have a few drinks, have a good time? You say, I'm set apart. I'm China. Amen. Now they say to you, oh, you're holier than thou? You say, apparently. You're dating somebody as a single and they want to take it further than you know that it should go. You say, you know, I'm so sorry, but this body isn't mine. It's the Lord's and, and I'm set apart. I am China. You date in China. And if you can't treat me like China, then go find yourself a paper plate. <laughs> Woo, this is the one going on the radio. You understand what I'm saying? Sanctified, set apart for the glory of God. You're not a paper plate. You're China. Can we stand together today? And I really felt impressed that we were just to have a presentation time. And I'm going to ask everybody in the congregation just to bow for a moment of prayer and if it's in your heart to do it, I want you to pray this prayer with me. We're going to make a presentation.